Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Tim Rasmussen, and you're listening to Pop Violence. What's up, listeners? Thank you for tuning in to another installment of Pop Violence. This week, we're talking about the 1997 sci-fi film, Gattaca. This is my first time seeing Gattaca, and so I'm definitely like still digesting it. I'm still processing um, sort of what the film's all about, because it covers a lot of things. It takes us on this deep dive into this dystopian, and I quote, not-so-distant future age of humanity where people are divided the classes are divided by genetic engineering where there's an elite class of people that have been genetically engineered um, from before their birth to be free of disease and free of ailment and free of early death and also predisposed to be highly skilled and intelligent and athletic and and all the rest and the rest of humanity is sort of the natural born people And the film follows the story of Vincent, who is a naturally born person called throughout the film an invalid, who makes his way and follows his dreams to sort of move up the tiers of society so that he can become an astronaut. And by way, has to start deceiving and, and eventually combines forces with one of the elite to take on their identity and to sort of pull off the ultimate scam or the ultimate deception, um, posing as a valid, even though he is an invalid. There's a lot of sensitive topics, but there's so many things to be covered here. Um, A lot of overlaying and interwoven themes. a few of which I want to give a little bit of a caveat to and also a content warning. We're definitely not endorsing, as we sort of dive into what this film is all about, we're not endorsing it's sort of an anti-science, definitely not like an anti-vax sort of standpoint. Um, I think that this really goes into some of the challenging conversations that are out there. Um, The truth is a lot of people that are maybe more socially interested or socially concerned um, will typically find themselves sort of pushed to the Democrat or liberal um, false political binary that is produced in the United States and therefore sort of find themselves in sort of a a place where they have to sort of unilaterally um, talk positively about the vaccines that are out there for COVID and Um, just what science has to offer. Obviously, like I said, I'm not trying to come off as anti-science, but part of what the conversation we're having here is, is to sort of question and to look at how can 
how can and should humanity deal with it as we become closer and closer to deeply understanding the building blocks of life? Um, how can we maintain our humanity? How can we maintain our harmony? As we embrace science, do we also embrace entropy? Do we give up on finding harmonious ways of, of coexisting with each other and with the environment? I think that in a lot of ways too, we have to understand sort of epistemologically what we're dealing with when we talk about science, Western uh, ways of knowing and understand that, you know, a lot of the supremacy of science oftentimes is tied in with the supremacy of Western ways of knowing, Western epistemolo epistemologies, excuse me. And so those are some of the sensitive topics um, I don't claim to fully understand, but I think that um, trying to navigate those conversations can sometimes be challenging. And there's obviously a whole nother le level when we bring in the issue of capitalism and the profit-driven nature of our society and how that deeply intertwines itself with the meaning and the reasoning behind our science and why we do science. What we see in Gattaca is sort of the supreme example of, of that dystopian future as people become nothing more than sort of genetically engineered robots of capitalism. In addition to some of that content that we're going to be talking about, I do also do want to give a warning that there is uh, later in the podcast, close to the 30 minute mark, and a little bit beyond that, some mention of suicide. Other than that, thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you enjoy this week's episode of Pop Violence. First, let me say thank you for being here, Bill. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation. I am as well. It's, it should be fun. Um, before we really get into talking about Gattaca, which is why we're here, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself to all the pop violence listeners. Um, and you can just share as much or as little, little as you feel comfortable with. Uh, sure. Well, my name is Bill Goldberg and I work in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I am the only Jewish person at the moment working at a Christian Mennonite university. And I've been here for about <laughs> 20 years. I direct a program called the summer peace building Institute that brings in non COVID times, about 150 to 200 people each year for six weeks of peace building courses. Mm. I'm also an avid movie fan. Um, <laughs> my friends used to joke that, you know, most people use 10% of their brain. I use 11%, but 2% was for like movie facts and things like that. <laughs> uh, and science fiction and comedy are my two favorite genres. So when I was listening to your podcast, and heard you talking about Easy Rider, Mary Magdalene, a couple others. It just kind of made me think, wow, I really want to be part of that. And I want to find a good movie that we can discuss. Yeah, and here we are with Gattaca, taking, taking on sci-fi first, I guess. Thanks for introducing yourself. Let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit. Uh, I'm excited, uh, excited to talk about it. I guess my question would be then, um, for you, this was one of the films that you sort of suggested to me of like, this could be a film that we could talk about um, on this podcast. And so my question would be sort of why, like what, what made you say like, or think, oh, Gattaca could be a good film to talk about um, on this podcast. 
Sure. Well, we were going back and forth over some different movies, and um, I recently watched the the series of Brave New World that's on, I think it's on Peacock. And yeah. there, I see a lot of similarities between Gattaca and between Brave New World. And part of mm. it is something will pop in my head and be like, oh, I know what, I know that's from a movie that I'm really interested in. And then I have to go back and figure it out. And so after watching Brave New World, started thinking more about the differences between that and Gattaca. And also the interesting, um, I guess almost transposition in society today. So I would have seen Gattaca as um, the genetic manipulation and the belief in science that science can make you a better person. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you believe in science making you a genetic Superman and Superwoman, that then, you know, science has the power to do that. We have kind of the opposite going on today with COVID that we have people who purposely don't believe in the science and don't want to um, get the vaccine, which would make their lives a little better. And, and like, I, somehow that got me into thinking about Gattaca mm. and the difference in people uh, between the upper elite class and the working class and how in society today, we sometimes see the people who don't want to believe in the vaccine and don't want to believe in the pandemic as like the working class and how we need to change that. We need to not put people into those boxes. Hmm. Yeah, I um, that's really interesting. And I'll, I'll start just by, you know, just thinking about the pandemic. I think maybe that's, that's probably a good place to start, I think, in this conversation, because certainly if any of the listeners went out and, and watched Gattaca um, in preparation for this podcast, I'm sure that anybody was thinking of, of things related to the pandemic and related to the vaccine and, and just sort of all the yeah, all the stuff, all the static that's out there in relationship to, to those parts of our lives that have been like definitive of like, you know, so much, such a block of time now. Um, and to me, like one of the things that I was thinking about was I've been doing like some reading and some listening about like the potential for, you know, and also the hysteria around this idea of like vaccine cards. Yes. Um, and that really got, that was like one of the first things that I thought of when I was watching the film. I was like, oh, so is this, is this, was this predictive, you know, of like, you know, there's this group of people that have access to like more of the resources and like the, also like the, uh, the leisures of society because they have a certain, you know, they've have this certain uh, scientific investment or they've, you know, you know, had something done to them that, that makes them sort of above the rest. Um and so that was one of the first things I started thinking about. And I was like, oof, like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's somewhere I can, I can continue to spin this. Um, and, and then I started thinking about um, some of the issues uh, that I've read up on about the withholding of the, that I think has been cleared up now, but it was the withholding of the patent on the vaccine that was sort of keeping it away from like the rest of the world. Right, um, right. And that really got me thinking. And that, that's what really, that's what really got me going. And like, that's when it really sort of the, um, I guess the, the, the connection became a little bit more full on for me from like the world, the, the conditions of this sort of not so distant future. It made me think of like, 
I guess I, I, I guess it's just like sort of the, the capital, the capitalistic, like driven society in general feels very much like, you know, why if we could, if we could, you know, make everybody healthy or whatever, like, you know, this sort of suggested, um, why wouldn't we? Uh, and sort of the reason is because, you know, like it, like in the deleted scene, right? It's like this extra, you know, there's extra money being charged each time to, to get this extra sort of uh, gene work done. And so those are some of the ways, those are some of the ways I'm still like, uh, you know, obviously thoughts are in development, but those are some of the things that, that I had going in my brain as I was, as I was watching those parts as well. Yeah, the, just one of the beginning scenes where they're going up the escalator or whatever, and they have to press their finger on there and do that blood prick. I could mm -hmm. see that almost becoming some sort of standard. You know, you go to get on an mm -hmm. airplane, you just have to show them your ticket, and you have to give them a finger prick to prove you've had the vaccine. And that yeah. is so scary because there's the scene where he talks about, where Vincent talks about the fact that he can lie on his resume but you can't get away from your DNA. And even if mm -hmm. he refuses to give a sample, they could get it off the back of an envelope. They could get it from a handshake. And just the scariness of taking a vaccine test one step further to make it a test of intelligence and whether or not people are worthy. Mm -hmm. I also, your thought about the, um, I think I'm more of a pessimist than you. You mentioned <laughs> something about, uh, you know, if we had the ability to improve the genetics of the entire world, why wouldn't we? I think mm -hmm. my question, not my question, but from a pessimistic view, I'd see capitalism as saying, why would we? Um, mm -hmm. Why would we create the entire world as perfect? Because then that would just be normal again. Why not create the race of supermen, superwomen, and then the working class that does all the work for them? Now, yeah. one thing is, like this is the difference between Gattaca and Brave New World. In Gattaca, it's either you're in what used to be a normal person, a normal regular birth, or you've been genetically altered to be superior. Whereas the scarier part of Brave New World is that they genetically alter people per they genetically alter people to be lesser human beings to serve mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Gattaca didn't include that, but they just made it seem like if you weren't one of the superiors, you were inferior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that that is also um, see, I'm not as familiar with Brave New World, but I, I like like we've even talked about, like I'm a big, a big Blade Runner fan. Uh -huh. And I, that's that's a little bit more of like the Blade Runner. Um, yeah. yeah, dynamic as well as they've got like these replicants that are these genetically engineered humans, basically, that are there to sort of do the uh, the labor um, for what's like the normal people, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, that, that, that's also something that's really interesting. Like, it's just, it's sort of like a, it's, it's a very, it's very much like a confounding question of like, you know, what is, what is ethical about this? And one of the, the questions that I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't share with you, but one of the things that came to, to mind, and I think I actually read it somewhere was um, this ethical question of um, part of the doctor scene um, when uh, Vincent's parents are at the um the the doctor or i don't even know i don't even know what type of specialist this is i don't know if they actually exist in real life so i don't know what the title is but um they're talking about the um the embryos that are uh sort of being um developed for them and they say oh we thought maybe we could leave a few things up to chance and the doctor says 
you want to give your you want to give your child the best possible start that you can and it almost made me think like would it be like if you had the opportunity like would it be irresponsible i guess or would it be sort of um problematic for them to leave things up to chance when they have the choice to not leave things up to chance i, I wonder what your thoughts would be on that well, so that actually gets me into the like the beginning of the movie when they say the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. So I think like probably the first time I watched that, I almost assumed it is an actual time period, 20, 30, however many years. And the reality is there's no way it could have been like set 20 or 30 years in the future. You've got these genetically superior people that are as old as the director. So that's Mm. 60 or 70 years. You've got the technology in place already the second Vincent is born to give his entire life's history. So when they say the not-too-distant future, I think they actually are talking about a not-too-distant age of humanity where we've changed the way we consider classes of people. I think the reason they show Vincent's birth first and then that they've decided to go to this genetic testing and in, in genetic improving is because of the disappointment the father has that their their love child didn't turn out to be the one in a million. And yeah, I understand that you want what's best for your kids. There's even, but there's even more to this. There's a push because so many people in society are doing this. You know, mm. it's no longer it's no longer the outlier to make your child genetically superior. It's your child is going to be left behind if they're not genetically superior. And that's when you get into the difference. I also guess it depends upon whether you believe in predestination or not. You know, if, if you have the ability to change your child's life and make it better than yours with these simple scientific tests and these scientific changes, why wouldn't you? I mean, I, I think my kids are probably more intelligent than me and, and, and able to reason things out. And I'm more intelligent than my parents. So we have, and I don't mean that, you know, egotistically, I mean, just from, from you, you make your next generation better. And I mm-hmm. think I've helped to do that for my kids. If I was given the choice before their birth, before we had even conceived, I don't know what I would have chosen. I would probably be afraid of the results unless it was already so in place that it was either choose this or they're left behind. And then I would probably choose it because I wouldn't want my kids to be left behind. Yeah, no, that that's, Oh man. I feel like I, I feel like uh, in a way I can't even like talk about this. Cause I'm like, I haven't had kids and like, haven't like had the, the parental experience, but um, yeah, it's like, a, it's a really confounding thing because obviously our protagonist is Vincent and he's, you know, an invalid, so to speak. And so we want to, I guess, uh, you know, uh, you know, be supportive of the way that he was conceived, you know, because he's the good guy. And, and I guess, I don't know, it's interesting because part of, part of the, my question with a lot of these sci-fi films, including Gattaca and a little bit of the Truman show, Blade Runner sounds like brave new world is, is sort of even just considering like at what point, like what, what makes, what makes us like human almost, or what makes us uh, like real, I guess, like what makes a life a genuine life. And it's like, you know, is, is Vincent's life like a more genuine life than say Jerome's life or the way that Jerome's life was supposed to be. Um, And, you know, is the end, does the engineering take away the, take away something from like the soul of humanity, I guess, so to speak? 
Vincent actually says something when he's talking about his birth. He said that he almost shows he's angry at his parents. He says something like, what made them think that they could have a love child? Why didn't, I mean, he, he's saying, why didn't they do the genetic engineering for me as well? So I think he's jealous of that, but mm. what maybe even he doesn't realize throughout the majority of, of the movie is what you said about it taking away their soul it, they're almost automatons. I mean, they're mm. very emotionless, like the the valids, the superior people. They, you know, they, they don't have much creativity above their station. You know, the fact that the director says something to Vincent about a million lines of code and not one wrong makes me realize that even for a valid person, even for one of the superiors, he's doing better than the superiors that that they must still make some mistakes mm -hmm. um but yeah just the soulless emotionless aspect of the majority of the movie we see that with irene the his love interest too uma mm -hmm. thurman's character that that yeah until she finds out about jerome and eugene she's the same soulless emotionless um conforming to society she she even puts herself down for the pills she has to take for her potential eventual heart problems and that she's not as good as him. So yeah, we really do see like having to lose a big part of yourself in order to be one of these valids. Whereas you see the janitor, the Ernest Borgnine character is laughing and joking and making fun of the people he works with. You know, he says something when, he, when Vincent's cleaning the glass and he says something like, don't get it too clean or you'll get jealous what's on the other side. He's mm -hmm. the only character other than Eugene who makes jokes. And Eugene's are all self-deprecating or Jerome-deprecating. Yeah. You know, the, jan the chief yeah. janitor, he just makes funny jokes to kind of keep his men going or to, to make fun of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, ah, it's so interesting, you know, and I, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to dive into like the ending, I guess quite yet but it it does make me think like there it just feels like there's something that 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 that, that overarching theme is reiterated obviously in the in the swimming i think the, yeah. you know I, that's what a big part that i've been like pondering a lot um for the film is is the swimming uh because in all honesty when i first watched it and that was where the the direction went um, well, I didn't pick up on, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't fully pick up on the fact that, you know, this detective was, you know, was Anton, was Vincent's, uh, you know, valid brother, valid counterpart. And until, I don't think you're supposed to until yeah. much further in, although there is actually a deleted scene where they discuss that. But yeah, you're not supposed yeah. to necessarily know. And I guess it makes it confusing as to why he's doing some of the things he does, because his name's not he's never referred to as Anton, Detective yeah. Anton or anything. So you'd have actually no way of knowing. He kind of raises his eyes when he sees who it is, but it could just mm -hmm. be, you know, a valid saying, how did an invalid get in here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and yeah, exactly. So I was, I was a little bit surprised when that, when the sort of the storyline took that turn. And, you know, it felt, it felt a little bit like, you know, convenient, like plot convenient in a way. But then I started to sort of think about think about it in a more of an allegorical sense, and I was like, okay, so like this, 
I, I like the I like the direction that this is going with just sort of this this setup of you know one sort of as the the pursuer and sort of the detective um and then the brother sort of on the inside Vincent on the inside and and I but then I was so like I was like not prepared for and not expecting things to go back to the swimming to back yeah. back to the swimming contest that took me by surprise if I'm being honest well I I think the so so there were what three three swimming scenes and then the first one Vincent loses mm -hmm. and he's like floating in the in the trashy water like you know it's this brown seaweedy water looking up at the skies realizing like he'll never be as good and yeah when he wins in the second one they never go into why he won and he dragged mm -hmm. his brother back to the shore and actually I was um reading the book of Gattaca which is kind of based on the screenplay and mm -hmm. When they swim back to shore in the second one, the parents instantly assume that Vincent went in too far and Anton saved him. Mm -hmm, you know, there's yeah. not even a thought, and, and Anton just lets it go. And that's kind of the last time as brothers they talk to each other. The third one, okay. I loved the third one. Um, I only think it was possible because Vincent beat Anton the second one, and Anton still had the chip on the shoulder. Which actually, I'll go back to my saying that the, the ballads are emotionless. They're not emotionless. Mm -hmm. They still have anger. They still have this need to be better than almost everyone around them. And maybe that's what triggers the third swimming scene. Doesn't matter that Anton, that Vincent has pulled off this massive scam that he's leaving the planet, you know, to go on one of the few interplanetary space flights by this massive scam. It's the fact that he beat his brother in a swimming competition 20 some years ago. And instead of reporting him, the brother demands that they redo the swimming contest to prove it. Yeah, seems petty. <laughs> it seems really petty, and it yeah. changes the you know it changes the entire part of the book. There, there's a there's an unspoken thing that happens at the end of that third swimming scene. I don't know if you caught it, hmm. and and this goes towards the ending of the book. But you never know whether Anton lives. Like yeah. it ends with him pulling Anton to the surface and kind of backstroking like he did the other time to take him to shore. But then the clouds clear and he sees the stars and he kind of lets out a sigh. And that's it. That ends the scene. And my thought has always been, well, he just let him drown back into the water because otherwise he would have been exposed and he wouldn't have gotten to go to space. Yeah. The one, the one change to that, actually, the one deleted scene that I didn't like is there's a deleted scene where the detective confronts Anton when he realizes that Anton and Vincent are brothers, and that has mm -hmm. to have happened after the swim. So if you ignore that, like, Vincent has actually allowed his brother to die to continue his dream. Yeah. <laughs> I did not, I did not, like, I didn't know what to think at that point in the, in, when the film, and this is before I'd seen the deleted, the deleted yeah. scenes. Right. And I, I like the, I like the ambiguity of it, like in just in terms of like the storyline of a film, like I, I liked that it, we didn't really know what happened to Anton. Right. It's, it's just an interesting way to see that, I guess the, like the way that the dynamic, like, what does it mean for, I guess, for Vincent to, to accomplish what he accomplishes? Um, what does that mean for the valids? You know, it's sort of like, it almost feels like it, it, it compromises like their like legitimacy and their like everything that, that, that sort of motivates them to achieve and to be, you know, these sort of top of society, great, you know, greatness achieving 
humans, you know, I think that almost, you know, Vincent doing so well kind of cancels that out in a way or like breaks it down to an extent. And yeah, you almost want to see a yeah. sequel. Like what happens when <laughs> gets back or, or yeah. just when Vincent's in space, you know, if anyone finds out, but um, I think the, the, the murder of the one director by the other does a lot yeah. to show the point you're trying to make that the valids aren't necessarily special. There's, there's even a scene in front of the detective where yeah. um, the director says something like you can check out my DNA um, and you'll see that there's no violence built into me. Take a look at my profile. You won't find a violent bone in my body. And it's that almost that arrogance that causes the detective to dig deeper. Yeah. Like, right there, you know, you've seen obviously the genetic manipulation doesn't do all it's supposed to do. Um, mm -hmm. As for, you know, as for Anton's death, I mean, he does give up where, you know, he gives up and he slips below the waters. It's only by Vincent saving him mm -hmm. that he that he may or may not have lived. And the same thing I think happens to Eugene. Um, Vincent's coming along when he does and taking over you, uh, Eugene's life as Jerome is what saves him from drowning in alcohol and gives him mm -hmm. this second chance at life. He ends up killing himself in that pretty gruesome way because mm -hmm. he's had his second chance at life and he's seen you know, how brave someone like Vincent could be. Yeah. Yeah, and I almost, you know... It's interesting because I, I, I love that line um, I, and I kind of pondered on it a little bit afterwards, uh, the line from Vincent, you know, in the, in the final swim um, where he says, you know, my secret is that I, I didn't save anything for the swim back. Yeah. And I kind of felt like at first that was just like a sort of a punchy, like, you know, fun line of like, oh, he's given everything he's got, you know, sort of a thing. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more and I started to feel like, you know, maybe that's what really sets him apart is not just that he kind of gives it his all, but that like the, he does things that aren't um, like predetermined, right? Like that's like, that's the, that's like the whole arc of the movie is about like this predetermined, like, you know, predestination, like you were talking about earlier that like, you know, these people are born or engineered or whatever with this sort of predetermined ending like their their whole path is calculated right um you know for anton swimming perhaps you know his whole swim was calculated how far he can make it out how far he can make it back um but you know a naturally born person an invalid so to speak like vincent is born and they don't have he doesn't have this sort of predetermined well i guess they they sort of do he does have sort of a predetermined life track, but it's, it's, it wasn't uh, engineered that way. It wasn't planned to happen. It was just sort of uh, um, estimated. Um, and so I, I felt like that, that line started to click for me as sort of uh, relating to the entire theme of the film, that sort of this, it's the, the, the fact that Vincent was able to do something without like a calculation of, um, you know, you know, I guess a predetermined uh, way it was going to end that he he gave it more than he should have on the swim out um, because he wasn't as calculated or as, uh, yeah, predetermined, I guess, as as Anton was. I thought that was an interesting uh, at least that was an interesting where place that my mind went to in regards to that line. 
Yeah, and actually the the acting right there is incredible because the look on Anton's face when Vincent says that yeah. is this horrified realization that Anton's going to die that because he's gone way past his midpoint. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he that's why he immediately turns around and turns back, which doesn't help him. But yeah, just the that and the horrified notion that his brother is better than him because he's not pre-programmed. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. It's it's a really it's a really fascinating like concept. You know, it's it's tough to go against the status quo. It's even tougher if you're the underclass going against the entire status quo of both the underclass and the overclass. You know, Eugene's character. Um, actually, I kind of find him to be one of the most interesting characters in the movie just because of the position yeah. of he's this like incredible uh valid you know he's got like mm -hmm. he's got a lifeline that would keep him going forever and what we believe in the earlier part of the movie is some sort of accident that happened where he breaks his back and now yeah. he's no longer part of this elite so he has this weird look on the world where his genetics would still keep him there but no one wants him in that in the, as part of the elites no one will let him in as part of the elites um yeah. and so like they're both together it would be interesting if there was some sort of i don't know i also love fan fiction for movies like this and i haven't looked uh -huh. for any on this but you know fan fiction of a different story of a similar situation like they call them borrowed ladders in the movie yeah where they're using someone else's DNA to be above their station. It'd be interesting if there was some sort of like parallels of people who did it elsewhere, um, mm -hmm. just to show that it does happen in the society and also what the relationship between the two individuals are. Will it mm -hmm. always be something like Jerome and Eugene, where not only do they work together, but they influence each other? Um, mm -hmm. Or will it be just different? Like and sometimes it's just like a work situation. Like here's all my stuff, take care of being me and keep me alive. Um, but yeah, the, the few people who buck the trend are the interesting ones in our society and they're so mm -hmm. rare. And the ones who do it without notice, like Jerome tries to be under the wire. He's not trying to be the president or he's not trying to be you know, uh, someone who's well noticed. He's trying his hardest not to get noticed. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, 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 you know, it, it can't, I think it goes, you know, it can, it can be said that, you know, and Vincent is not, you know, he's not trying to like start a revolution necessarily, right? You know, he's right. not trying to revolutionize things. He's, he's trying to advance and sort of achieve his dreams. Yeah. And so I think there's like something to be said for that, because I feel like a lot of these like dystopian sci fi uh, films oftentimes will sort of have have that arc as well where there's like you know some type of like uprising that's a bruin <laughs> right um, and this sort of didn't have that element and i i kind of wish that i don't know if i wish that there was but i kind of wish that we got a little tiny bit more of a peek into sort of what the 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 broader society sort of looks like because it just seems really fascinating um but i did i did i remember that question that you sent through on the email chain that we had um, and I think, what was it? It was uh, something about the, how the, uh, the working class or the invalids, um, what their life is like outside yeah. of their work. Yeah, we get, we get very little look into that. I mean, yeah. 
we see Vincent's apartment in the scene when the recruiter comes there and it's this rundown, dingy, messy, shabby, mm. old looking furniture and chairs. You know, there's a fluorescent light over the desk that you just can tell is gonna crackle and glow and cause a headache. It's just mm -hmm. got that look to it. There's papers tacked to the bulletin board, you know, but that's almost the only scene we get. We get the one scene also when they're rounding up all the invalids in the yeah. concrete park. And, you know, it's grubby streets, it's whitewashed walls. Um, other than that, we don't see anything. We never see invalid women. We never see invalid family life. And, you know, at first I was thinking, well, does this mean they're not allowed to marry? They don't reproduce? But mm. I'm realizing that that can't be the case because you always need a lot more workers than elites. So you'd almost yeah. think that you'd want them to have large families. You wouldn't give them access to genetic engineering. It's like you've made your parents made your choice. You're not uh, you're not going to ever be a valid and none of your kids will either. So you will always be the workers. But we never see that life. I mean, the fact that we never see any female invalids is a really interesting quandary. Like, where are they? There's no mm -hmm. all the workers are male. We never see any other class besides the janitors. We never see like the people who prepare the meals and mechanics or anything like that. So we never see much of a look into that life. Yeah. And Whereas in Brave New World, yeah. there are like five classes. There's the alpha pluses, you know, and, and they actually go through a list at the beginning about like how many of each class of underling there are to one of the elites. But the underclasses are always around because if one of the alpha pluses, you know, drops a napkin on the floor, one of the gammas, one of the low class ones runs and picks it up. So they mm. always have all these servants around them. You don't see that at all in Gattaca. You see one sterile world of the valids and then a, one or two glimpses into the invalid world. And then the only other thing is Vincent says something about it doesn't matter what color you are, religion you are, what class you are, it's your blood. You know, mm. so all the rest of the barriers seem to have been broken down mm. just to make way for this one intelligence blood-based barrier. But then also makes me think just generally, you know, we don't really get a sense of like what the political, like global political situation is um, in, in the film or like if they're like, you know, what are the what are the national borders like? What is what is the availability of this like sort of worldwide in terms of like the gene engineering and stuff? You don't really get any of those those glimpses, those sort of those macro scale things either. And, it's 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 really interesting to think about and to sort of like wonder like what would it what would that potentially look like um but yeah i was you know i tried to look out for it as i was watching the film and yeah there's hardly anything um it was interesting that that i found it interesting that um in what we learn about vincent's life we do learn that he um he is not a specialist at anything in in at least through the work that he does right so he he like does like some traveling it looks like he kind of like gets on a truck and like goes around to different places to do like a bunch of different what people would consider like low skilled jobs right um and i do think that that's like it makes me think of some reading that i've done recently on um what people call nowadays the gig economy right mm -hmm. where there's a lot of people um are you know getting hustling and sort of getting by 
by doing a lot of different things in like weird sort of, I shouldn't say weird, but sort of just odd and, 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 and unique spaces, you know, a lot of the times over the internet, you know, whether it's like, I make a little bit of money doing a, a DIY thing here. I make a little bit of money through TikTok. I make a little money through uh, YouTube. I make, a, you know, just those kinds of things that that sort of economy that's becoming like really prominent right now. Um, and, and talking about how that actually, in a lot of ways, uh, hurts sort of the working class, if we're sort of coming from like a, a, I guess, like a Marxist sort of perspective, like the working class is sort of hurt by that. And that's, you know, from a Marxist perspective, that's sort of like the characteristic of capitalism, right, is to, is to devalue the skills or to take away the skills of the working class so that they're not doing skilled work, they're doing factory work, they're not doing you know, one thing that they're great at and, and becoming great at something, but they're just doing things, maybe a lot of different things uh, in, that, you know, just just to uh, get by um, and how that sort of disempowers people. Um, I found that really interesting. That was one of the first things I thought of when I saw it. It's like, oh, well, so what we've got here is we've got, you know, these the people that are considered invalids really don't have any opportunity to become um, you know, maybe what they want to be or become someone who can, you know, empower themselves even, you know, in Vincent's case, you know, they're sort of, sort of stuck doing um, or stuck with the, the jobs, so to speak, that, that don't really advance or help them in any way. Just in terms like of filmmaking, one of my favorite scenes in the film was when he uh, has to climb the staircase. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I really liked it is because one of the things that I caught on to in that scene that I, I wish I want to go back and rewatch the beginning of the film now to see sort of how it plays into it. But the staircase looks like it looks like DNA. Right. Right. And yeah, I that's just true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah the, the staircase looks like it kind of spirals and, and the way that the back it's backlit, it kind of makes it look like, a, you know, our. I don't even know. I don't even know what the word is. That's how bad I am at science. But you know what the, the image that we use when we talk about DNA. Um, the and, yes, and just to see him, that his struggle, what he's doing is like, and he's climbing up the, you know, climbing up the DNA. So sort of like struggling his his way up it, <laughs> and gets to the top and sits is able to sit on the chair and be Jerome again. Um, yeah. I found that I found that so just I'm, I'm not sure everything that it means, but it's just it's just really satisfying filmmaking to me. And then the detective Anton, you know, at the time, I just thought it was just the detective. But Anton, now I know, um, you know, that he makes his way down the DNA to find the secret. Right. You know, so he's he's going down that same dynamic and sort of diving into sort of what's below Um and seeing you know and that and that's where vincent's hiding behind the pillar right um that's before really interesting. I yeah i, I, I that way before yeah i yeah that was one of the things that and just in, and like and, and in a way I, I like i don't even know like what the meaning is necessarily of that i think it's just like i think it was just cool filmmaking i think it was just a really cool looking scene and there's and like I said, now I want to go back and like rewatch some of the other like beginning scenes because I know that there's a few different ways that you know that there are shots that are like you know take place in front of the staircase. I think the first scene of Eugene actually is him just sort of hunched over in his wheelchair, looking really 
sort of sad and melancholy and i'm pretty sure that the backdrop is the is the staircase that looks like dna and so yeah it is and then and then vincent says something like who lives up there and he says not me anymore or something like that so yeah I, that's right I right I, I i hadn't actually thought of the staircase as double helix for dna until you said that but there are several scenes in the movie that come to mind that they do that yeah that was that was one of those points in the film where like because you know this is an interesting film because it's not um it's not one of those films at least when i was watching it first where you would sort of step back and say oh that's a beautiful film like that's a beautiful looking film um it was just like this is you know they, they had they've done what they've needed to to sort of get their point across and they've used a lot of like modern as well as like 1950s uh architecture that's the brutalist architecture so that's like 1950s that was really it's it's very much like just like the just like so blank and so like just i don't know just has no like color has no sort of um it just looks very institutional in a yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so that brutalist architecture, I definitely like picked up on that. Like the, you know, the Gattaca building, um, whatever. I mean, the whole scene, like the first scene between Irene and, and Vincent, where it's just in like what's clearly one of the LA aqueducts. Um, yeah. And I was just like, this is an interesting scene for like their first, like, you know, beautiful experience or their first, like, you know, feelings of like affection towards each other to be in like the most bland, like, just like, you know, uninteresting sort of backdrop and have it sort of had the kind of saturated lighting. I found that interesting. But um, what really, like I said, what really like turned that for me was when I saw that scene of him climbing the staircase, Eugene climbing the staircase, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's, there's a really subtle, there's some really subtle uh, um, imagery here that, that feels kind of profound. It's also kind of, um, there's a scene when Eugene is confronted on the street by the police officer and they take his blood and, you know, they're like, nothing in your chart says you're crippled and he says I injured myself. And it's almost like he's playing at being Eugene there, like he's trying to act like his former self but when he climbs yeah. to the top of the stairs he actually is jerome mm -hmm. again yeah you know? so there's so there's definitely a there's definitely like a juxtaposition between the two times he tries to be himself after he's given his identity over mm -hmm. yeah i know definitely and i think that that relates back to some of like the oh just like sort of undergirding themes that we've been talking about some of the loftier stuff like you know like is Eugene's whole character is fascinating because it's like, does he, what, what is his like meaning? Like what, what, what is happening to his identity, you know, throughout this whole thing? Um, and, and, you know, if he is a person who was predetermined to have a certain life and that life doesn't work out because of an accident, does that make him have a more genuine, like an authentic experience? Or does that make him have an inauthentic experience because he's not living up to the plan that he was born with? Well, and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it goes a little further back than that because we find out it wasn't an accident that he tries to kill himself by jumping in front of a car. That's you know, right. And, yes, I forgot goes, about that. So what it is is the accident was that he only got the silver medal, not the gold. He says a Jerome, something like a Jerome never should have placed se it second. You know, I, I was meant to get the gold medal. And when he's drunk, he mentions he couldn't even kill himself properly when he because 
he walked in front of the bus and knew exactly what he was doing when he got hit. So it's because the accident of him not winning the gold medal for whatever reason leads to him trying to kill himself because mm -hmm. he's realized he's a failure as an elite. Yeah. Well then that, and yeah, that, that I'm glad that you said that because then that, and then that like almost like circles back to Anton's experience, right? Like with him right. not being able to swim better than, um, than Vincent. Right. A, a fact that until he knew Vincent was still alive, he probably could have repressed for his entire life. But the second he knew Vincent was still alive, his goal wasn't to catch the murderer. His goal was to find Vincent, whether it was to find Vincent and prove that he was better than Vincent, you know, we'll never know. Cause we don't, we don't know until they meet each other that Anton knew he was working at Gattaca. You know, we just mm -hmm. know that Anton knows he had been in Gattaca. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that, that's what like, then that leads back to like, the, you know, Anton is a failed uh, superior being that we talked about before. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the whole thing just sort of, and, and then maybe that's like the, that's like the, the satisfying ending of the film in some ways is that we get like these, uh, just like a myriad of different ways that, uh, these elites are not living up to their programming or are diverting from that predetermined way that it, they should be. Um, even that deleted scene with the detectives, right? He, you know, Alan Arkin's uh, detective, you know, he, he tells him, you know, I should report you, but it's against my better judgment. Maybe that's my big flaw. And right. when he walks out of the room and to me, that was like the best line of that scene. You know, I, 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 I sort of take it or leave it. The fact that he finds out that Anton's Vincent's brother, but uh, th that last line where he sort of says like, oh, you know, I'm going against my programming now. Um, I thought was really significant and interesting. Um, and, and to me, it feels like, I don't know, maybe that's like the, 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 like the freedom part of it. Like, you know, like, that 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 they're break like that they're all like breaking their their programming you know and even like we were saying it close to the beginning um the doctor right the doctor's yeah. been hiding it the whole time he knew the whole time that that uh that vincent was faking it like there's some, some significance there i think yeah the doc uh, you know it's, it's interesting we never are told whether the doctor's a valid or an invalid he's obviously if not a valid one of the high ups because you know because of where he's working and what he's doing so i would assume he's a valid and then he, and he yeah. talks about how his son wasn't valid enough at that mm -hmm. but it seems like the invalid folks break their programming to show their humanity that scene with alan arkin i i actually what i took from that is him saying that his character flaw was his humanity and he was yeah saying it almost sarcastically to what he considered to be the robot of Anton. Whereas mm -hmm. any of the valids that broke their cat, their, their programming, it was, it was, a you know, a lack of humanity or um, just a, through anger, the director kills the, the lower director out of anger that he wants to shut down the space program. You know, Anton demanding they do their swimming because he's angry that he lost that race. So, you only see that coming out with the valids, whereas you see mm -hmm. you see a real humanity in in several of the invalids. Uh, Ernest Borgnine's character laughing mm -hmm. with with Vincent at the end about you know his place and the look on Ernest Borgnine's character's face in that deleted scene when Vincent has left him a telescope 
Yeah. Like he almost wants to cry. Yeah. For how much for how happy he was. Yeah, very tender. I I really uh, I I loved that uh, deleted scene. I I feel like they should have kept that that locker room scene, the the yeah. the, uh, the those mirrored locker room scenes. Um, yeah, for anybody who's listening who hasn't gone and watched, it's it's available on YouTube. The deleted scenes for the film, um, just so you have an idea of what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was a, a really interesting one, and and it reminds me a lot of. Um, and this is something that I I've taken from. Um, and now analyzing um blade runner is is yeah like you were saying with alan arkin's character that his he had some humanity and and i think that like in a lot of ways that's sort of what it comes down to in a lot of these films and in this film as well as sort of um what does it mean to be like genuinely human and like what is what is something that's sort of is actually distinctly human and in, in blade runner i i found it really interesting um in in uh 2049 and also in in the original blade runner is just the the understanding of the um the replicants um as humans or as sort of automation like you know and and that there is something that happens within them that that makes them into uh to humans and in 2049 there's an interesting line that that says like you know uh in one of the beginning scenes um the uh one of the replicants who's sort of a one of the revolutionaries says to the blade runner um who's there to retire him um that the only reason that he is so loyal to his programming is because he's never seen a miracle happen um and um i think another piece of that though is they do like the they they have like the baseline testing in in that film that sort of and i won't go into it too much because we're not talking about that film but um, they do the baseline testing of the replicants in that film that is meant to sort of make sure that they are still um fully uh like their brain and everything is all in line with uh, and uniform with what their purpose is and what their orders are and all those things um and I think that there's a really interesting, there's a point where, you know, he diverts from it and he fails his baseline testing and he needs to be retired. And it's really, really fascinating. I feel like a big part of it is that happens once he starts to keep secrets, right? And to lie. And and I was reading up on it a little bit and I've, I, I read that that's sort of um, what some philosophers, I can't remember who, um, would sort of suggest is sort of like a, a paramount sort of characteristic of humanity and like what it means to be a person, um, to have a soul is to have an internal self and to have an internal self is to have a secret and to have something that you have kept to yourself and private from the outside world. To have an inner self and an outer self is to have you know some type of duality to who you are as a person. And it's i so i do think that in a way like the the humanity is sort of like the victor in a way of the entire film is is that we we see that there are these folks these these valids that are programmed and predetermined what they're going to do but it ends up that you know you know whether it's they're being violent when they're supposed to be nonviolent, or whether they're failing at swimming or whether they're keeping things secrets they they have inner selves they have something that is within them um whereas and, and it's something small and then 
and and that's sort of the that's where they keep the lie but then vincent's like the inverse of that where his outer self is the lie and the inner self is the is the truth so to speak um but yeah i found that i i just i think that that was sort of my big takeaway in a way from the film but, well, so what you said just made me think of the whole issue of humanity. You know, this mm-hmm. starts out with the belief that this genetic engineering is going to free you from diseases to get make you live longer. And then all of a sudden it's to make you smarter. And then it's to include skills you no one in your family has ever had before, like music. Mm-hmm. But, but at what cost? You know, they're doing all this theoretically. I'm sure it started with something like to make humanity better. And then the reality is it turns humanity into robots. And only the mm-hmm. people who are pure and didn't do this genetic manipulation are the, are the ones with any humanity in them. Even Irene's character, uh, she has some humanity because she kind of almost feels like a pretender in the valid world herself. You know, there's mm-hmm. that one scene where she says, I'll never, the only way I'll fly through space is by watching it or something like that. And she talks about her heart condition and mm-hmm. it humanizes her a little, but, mm-hmm. but she's still one of the valids. So it only humanizes her a little, whereas, you know, Vincent's characters has much more humanity. What humanizes her even more is when Vincent comes back from the swim and he's sitting next to her car when she wakes up and I'm not even really sure what she's doing there. Like they never Mm -hmm. get into the understanding of why she's asleep in her convertible outside of that. But Uh she says something to him, like the night that they were crossing the street, you couldn't see because he had flipped out his contacts to not get caught. And the look on her face is just this amazed final understanding of how, of, of Vincent's humanity. And I think mm-hmm. that's what convinces her that that you know that she's that that he should not be turned in and that he's better than all of them is just the fact that he was willing to run across the street for her when he couldn't see a thing. Um, and she just mm-hmm. gets that look of awe on her face. And I think that's when she finally accepts it. Before that, I think she's still trying to make up her mind about what to do. Yeah, I know. I think that 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 seems like yeah i i agree with that i i didn't even i re, i'm remembering that scene now and yeah it was interesting um just to see how i wonder like i almost want to see a sequel just to know like sort of what happens with her character like yeah does she ever see him again you know what does she do while he's gone you know how is how is someone like irene's life going to be changed after being sort of a front row spectator of what uh, Vincent has done, you know, and how he has upset the s- status quo in such a such a uh, distinct way. Um, and I wonder how that would affect her and and how she continues to live her life. Yeah, that'd be interesting. There's a mm-hmm. there's another movie, another one of my favorites, and I've found very few people who actually would put this in their favorites called Joe versus the Volcano. It's an early Tom Hanks movie weird movie but there's wow, a, never never heard of that one i'll be honest oh, it's like cast away but i mean like you know very very young tom hanks but there's a line in there where this girl says one of the women says my father says 95 percent of the world are asleep and the five percent that are awake live in a constant state of awe and amazement and you know i'd put vincent mm. in that class of awe and amazement that 
he doesn't he wants to not be part of the status quo i'd put all of the valids except for perhaps jerome in that class too mm -hmm. you know and then maybe you have like anton who wakes up enough to be shocked but but the majority of the people in the movie are asleep mentally they just are ex existing in the way they've been told they have to exist yeah and that and that you know that brings the whole thing sort of back to just like the normative theory kind of a if i can use that umbrella term mm -hmm. appropriately like just understanding of how even peace building comic transformation whatever it's sort of that it, it necessarily has to be geared towards a reorienting of of norms right and in a, a raising of consciousness or a raising of awareness for for all all stakeholders all parties involved um, right right yeah that's that's a really i think that's a that's that's a great important point um well i think that um i think that might uh, is there anything else any any final words that we need to that we need to put out there i guess anything that's glaring at us um that we wouldn't want to leave unturned not much nothing i can think of i mean the only the only thing is just that you know we are approaching this in our society mm -hmm. where genes can be manipulated and we're approaching the time where you know i would love as a parent i would love to be assured that my child will never get cancer or leukemia or anything like that the question is as this movie points out what's the cost of that assurance what yeah. what do, what do you lose and and i think that worries me about our society that people build on the work before them they don't do the work before them mm. and so they jump you know they jump to the next genetic manipulation assuming it will help society without having a clue as to how it will affect society and i think that's something we need to be worried about and watch for Absolutely. I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good prerogative for all of us to walk away from this podcast with. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.